0: Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit Beatrixmedia.com. Experience your world communicate it. I'm Noelle Heister Crow,
1: And I'm Tom Crow.
0: If you like American Catholic history, please become a supporter at Locals or Patreon. Your support helps us keep producing this podcast, as well as making other resources and courses that we have in the works.
1: We also lead pilgrimages. Among others, we're leading one in April to Annapolis, Baltimore, and Southern Maryland to see the sites where the church was born in the colonies and in the decades after the American founding. Other pilgrimages will go to Wisconsin, Santa Fe, the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, and other great destinations. For more on all of this, visit our website, AmericanCatholicHistory.org.
0: Also, be sure to give us a five-star rating and a great review at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. These help others find us. Today, we've got a bit of an unusual story. We're not talking about a Catholic person or the founding of an order or diocese or a missionary. Today, we're talking about the Pope's Stone. This is a story of anti-Catholics asserting themselves and happily facing a strong backlash.
1: Yes, it's a story of mystery and intrigue. And it all centers on the construction of one of the most recognizable and important structures in our country, the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C.
0: It's ironic, considering how favorable George Washington was towards Catholics, he'd probably be appalled at the Pope, and thereby Catholics were targeted in this manner, especially during the construction of a monument to him.
1: I know, right? Back in 1775, he had personally ended the practice of the anti-Catholic Pope Knight, an American version of Guy Fawkes Knight. We talked about this in episode 69. And there is strong evidence that Washington may have become Catholic on his deathbed. We talked a whole lot about Washington and Catholicism in episode 85. And we'll be visiting Mount Vernon on our pilgrimage in April. It's where he lived and where he was visited by a Jesuit priest on his deathbed.
0: A priest whom he specifically summoned Let's be clear.
1: Yes, he specifically asked for a Catholic priest.
0: He was so favorably disposed towards Catholics, and Catholics were so fond of him, that it was only fitting for Catholics and even the Pope to support the construction of a monument to him. So, let's talk about the Washington Monument and how a stone from the Pope got involved in the first place.
1: So, the idea for a monument to George Washington began shortly after the War for Independence while he was still alive. The location selected was roughly where the present monument stands, but the monument that the Continental Congress originally intended was a large and impressive equestrian statue carved by a great European sculptor. Washington, however, refused to allow them to erect a monument to him while he was still alive.
0: Another sign of his greatness. Yeah,
1: seriously. But after he died in 1799, Congress got to it. Sort of. Not really.
0: Yeah. After three decades of arguing, disagreeing and talking, Congress had still accomplished nothing on this matter uh, that so many of them agreed was so important. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, pretty much.
1: (laughs) Now, to be fair, other pressing matters like the War of 1812 did intervene.
0: Yeah, but not for three decades.
1: No, of course. Congress was still, you know, I make no apology for Congress. Yeah, still negligent. Yeah.
0: The movement for a massive monument to Washington didn't happen until a Citizen Committee was set up within the city of Washington, along with citizens from across the country at the beginning of the 1830s.
1: Enthusiasm quickly sprung back up nationwide, and the plans for a 555-foot obelisk right at the intersection of the axes of the Capitol building and the president's mansion were chosen— Fundraising began, and the foundation was laid.
0: Now, one other point about the location of the monument. At the time, the Potomac River was much wider than it is now. The place where the Washington Monument was being built was only about 100 yards from the Potomac. If you've been to Washington, D.C., or if you look at it on a map, you'll see that it's about uh, three-quarters of a mile from the Washington Monument to the nearest point on the Potomac behind the Lincoln Memorial. This distance to the Potomac will figure later on in the story.
1: So the monument was going up and things were going well for a time. The massive foundation was dug and put in, and the obelisk, 55 feet across on each of the four sides, was rising from the ground. But the fundraising didn't remain perfectly consistent, and money did begin to become an issue.
0: A partial solution came from the state of Alabama. Alabama proposed sending a block of stone with an inscription to be included in the construction of the monument. If each state, and even cities, civic clubs, and other American entities were to send blocks, this could help both by providing material for the construction, and it could serve as an engine to spur further fundraising.
1: And so this began... States, cities, school boards, and all manner of organization began raising money to send a block to be installed in the monument.
0: It became a national civic movement, really. Show your gratitude and respect for George Washington and the nation he, more than any other single person, brought into being by helping build this magnificent monument to him.
1: And that was all well and good, But then other countries got into the act, Spain, China, France, and even England, whose troops Washington had outlasted and outfoxed 60 years earlier, among others, all sent blocks to be included.
0: And then Pope Pius IX made it known that he intended to send over a stone, a lovely piece of marble from the ruined Temple of Concord on the Roman Forum. The Temple of Concord is also known as the Temple of Peace. So it's a significant name.
1: Well, this happened to be in 1852. And if you've been listening to our podcasts, you know that the 1840s and the 1850s were the era of the know-nothings.
0: The know-nothings were the secretive political movement that was dedicated to reducing immigration, particularly from Catholic countries. And as far as Catholics who were already in the country, well, they intended to reduce how much influence those Catholics could have and to try to keep them from spreading.
1: The Know-Nothings claimed that the influx of Catholics threatened to undermine what made America great. They claimed that Catholics could not be good American citizens because Catholics were required to obey the Pope on all matters. And to their minds, this meant that, if Catholics should gain a majority among the electorate, eventually the Pope would personally control American politics. It's all hogwash, of course. You can't get Catholics to agree on much of anything. But this was their fear.
0: So when the Pope, as a gesture of goodwill and as an honor to a great statesman, indicated his desire to send a stone, the know-nothings, well, they lost their minds. Some insisted that this would be seen as a signal by Catholics in the U.S. to rise up and seize power.
1: Right. Some even feared, if you can believe this, that the Pope's ultimate plan was to conquer America through the Catholic population so that the Pope could move his seat of power from Rome to America.
0: Yeah, real fever dream stuff there.
1: Yeah. Petitions were circulated and op-eds written against the Pope's stone. When they realized they couldn't stop it being included, they instead insisted that a protest stone be placed near it, decrying its inclusion. This plan also wasn't adopted by those in charge of construction of the monument.
0: The Pope's stone finally arrived at some point in late February or early March of 1854. It was a lovely piece of polished marble, cream-colored with pink veins. Sounds gorgeous. It was about three feet wide, 18 inches high, and about 10 inches thick. So it was a substantial piece of marble with a weight of about 600 pounds. On its polished face, Pope Pius had etched Aroma Americae, which is Latin for from Rome to America.
1: This inscription to a calm and clear-thinking person would seem like a gesture of friendship and warmth from one of the most significant ancient powers of Europe to a new and prospering nation. But to the know-nothings, It was further evidence of the Pope's revolutionary aims. To them, the true meaning was that the Pope intended to move from Rome to America so that he might establish Rome in America. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Yes. But the Know-Nothings weren't the sort who stopped at op-eds and petitions. They were also prone to action, including violence. Just ask Father John Baps to the Jesuit priest in Maine who was tarred and feathered and left for dead by know nothings in October of 1854. We talked about him in episode 51.
0: Or talk to those Catholics affected by the Bloody Monday riots in Louisville in 1855. We haven't told this story yet, but we will. The No-Nothing's were not Do-Nothing's.
1: A no, and in this case, it meant doing whatever it took to keep that stone out of the Washington Monument. So a handful of them hatched a plan. It may have been alcohol infused. On the night of March sixth, eighteen fifty-four, a group of No-Nothing's went to the grounds of the monument. What happened next is told in slightly different ways in different sources, but here's how it seems to have gone down. First they poisoned the watchdogs. Sad. Then, they locked the night guard in his shed by blocking the door shut and trapping him inside. Some accounts say they overpowered him and tied him up, but in the aftermath it came to light that the night guard had no nothing leanings, so either he didn't put up much of a fight or he was actually actively involved.
0: Next, they went to the shed where the many donated stones were kept. They went through and found the Pope's stone. They hoisted it onto some manor wagon or cart and hurried it to the Potomac, which, as we said before, was only about 100 yards away.
1: There, they loaded the stone onto a waiting boat and rowed it out into the Potomac. They rode out near a bridge called the Long Bridge. It's long gone now, but it apparently was near the present-day 14th Street Bridge, which carries I-395 across the Potomac. And once they reached that point, they took some sledgehammers and broke the stone up a bit, if only to have some trophies to take home. And they somehow tumbled the rest of the stone out of the boat and into the water.
0: The disappearance of the Pope's stone caused an uproar. Catholics across the country were greatly angered. The general public was Outraged, the Washington National Monument Society put up a $100 bounty, equal to about $3,300 today, for information about the criminals. A month later, they upped it to $500, so more than $16,000. But to no avail. No one came forward with clues, and no one was ever arrested for the crime.
1: And this was all that anyone knew for many years. Living up to their name, the Know-Nothings said they knew nothing when asked. But the fallout went way beyond just anger over a stolen stone. The Washington Monument Project came basically to a screeching halt in 1855. In part, this was because the unrest in the country that would eventually blow up into the Civil War had distracted public attention. But also, very significantly... The Know-Nothings had basically taken over the management and leadership of the Washington National Monument Society. People who wanted to support the project did not trust the Know-Nothings, so fundraising dried up
0: the one-third completed monument stood uncompleted for decades. Mark Twain quipped that it looked like a useless chimney stack. It wasn't until well after the Civil War that the project was resurrected.
1: In the 1870s, interest reignited with many hoping to finish the monument in time for the centennial in 1876. Members of Congress got interested, which, of course, delayed things. But eventually, finally, in August of 1876, so it wasn't ready for July, they did allocate $200,000. So that helped get things back on track.
0: The monument was back under construction, and the next chapter in the Pope's Stone Saga took place. In 1883, the long bridge was being replaced, and the riverbed was being dredged and holes dug for new
1: piers. At this time, an old saloon keeper in Washington gave a scoop to the Washington Post. He claimed to have been one of the know-nothings who'd done the deed in 1854. He described the crime and said that, if the divers dug in a particular place near the piers, they'd find something that would create a sensation. Well, it took nine years, but in 1892, divers did find a beautiful polished slab of marble around that place, and it was brought up from the riverbed. The inscription wasn't complete, it had been partially damaged, but there was little doubt. The Pope's stone had been found.
0: When news spread of the discovery, many gathered at the riverbank to witness the stone coming to shore and to see it with their own eyes. The society, which had gotten involved, of course, determined that this stone should be given to the Smithsonian Institution to be displayed as a bit of American history. The stone was locked up and secured in a storage shed overnight for safekeeping.
1: But alas, the stone would never see the Smithsonian. When the authorities came to the shed the next morning, they found that a window had been forced, and the stone was, once again, gone.
0: And this time, it was never
1: recovered. Or was it?
0: No. (laughs) The whole stone was never recovered. But there is reason to believe that a large chunk of that stone is extant, and in the possession of the Smithsonian, after all.
1: Yes. In 1972, an elderly Maryland woman gave a marble obelisk to the Smithsonian, she said she had kept it hidden away in a closet in her home since 1912. She had received it from a man who in turn had been given it by his brother. His brother, he claimed, was among the original know-nothing conspirators, and that this obelisk had been carved from the chunk of the stone that he had smashed off that night. Now, there's no way to confirm the identity since the rest of the stone is lost to history. It probably was smashed to smithereens in 1892 to prevent it ever being found again. But as one of my old history teachers used to say, if it isn't true, it ought to be.
0: And the final bit of good news to report about the Pope's stone and the Washington Monument is that there is, after all of this, a stone from the Pope within the Washington Monument, in nineteen eighty two, Pope John Paul II sent a stone to the National Park Service for inclusion within the Washington Monument. It was sponsored by Father James Grant, a priest in fittingly Washington State. If you ever get a chance to see the stones within the monument, as you pass the three hundred forty foot level, you will find the white smooth stone with gold lettering that reads as Pope Pius IX original did Aroma America. And no, that does not mean that the Pope is ever moving his papal throne to America. This has been American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by the StarQuest Production Network. If you enjoy American Catholic History, become a supporter on Locals or Patreon. Get information about both and the perks of being a supporter at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. Also sign up for our newsletter, learn more about the Washington Monument, see our upcoming pilgrimages, and find other episodes on our website.
1: And be sure to check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit com. Experience your world communicated.
0: We love getting your feedback and suggestions for episodes. You can email us at feedback at History.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow us on Twitter at ACH 1513. I'm Noel Heister Crow.
1: And I'm Tom Crow.
0: Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest.